Chapter Four of Gone to Earth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Gone to Earth by Mary Webb. Chapter Four. Bessons took up the pose of one seeing a new patient. This young lady's lost her way. Reddin remarked. She has God's truth, for you'll find it. For I make no doubt, sir. There's a way. He looked ironically at the poultry basket behind the trap from which peered anxious beaky faces. The way is no foul knoweth, the way of a man with a maid. Fetch the brood mares in from the lower pasture, they should have been in this hour. And late love's worse than lads love, so they do say, concluded Vessons. There's nothing of love between us, Reddin snapped. I dunna wonder at it. Andrew cast an appraising look at his master's flushed face and at Hazel's tousled hair, and withdrew. Hazel went into the elaborately carved porch. She looked round the brown hall where deep shadows lurked. Oak chests and carved chairs, all more or less dusty, stood about, looking as if disorderly feasters had just left them. In one corner was an inlaid sideboard piano. Hazel did not notice the grey dust and the hearth full of matches and cigarette ends. She only saw what seemed to her fabulous splendour. A foxhound rose from the moth-eaten leopard skin by the hearth as they came in. Hazel stiffened. I cannot abear the hound dogs, she said. Nasty, snabbing things. Best dogs going. No, they kills the poor foxes. Vermin. Hazel's face became tense. She clenched her hands and advanced a determined chin. Keep your tongue off our foxy, or I unna stay, she said. Who's foxy? My little small cub, as I took and reared. Oh, you reared it, did you? Ah, she didna like having no ma'am. I'm her ma'am now. Reddin had been looking at her as thoughtfully as his rather maudlin state allowed. He had decided that she should stay at Undern and be his mistress. "'You'll be wanting something better than foxes to be mothering one of these days,' he remarked to the fire with a half-embarrassed, half-jocose air and a hand on the poker. "'Eh?' said Hazel, who was wondering how long it would take her to learn to play the music in the corner. Reddin was annoyed. When one made these arch speeches at such cost of imagination, they should be received properly. He got up and went across to Hazel, who had played three consecutive notes and was gleeful. He put his hand on hers heavily, and a discord was wrung from the soft-toned notes that had, perhaps, known other such discords long ago. "'Laws, what a din!' said Hazel. "'What for would you do that, Mr. Redden?' Reddin found it harder than ever to repeat his remark and dropped it. "'What's that brown on your dress?' he asked instead. "'That? Oh, that's from a rabbit as I loosed out in a trap. It bled awful.' "'Little sneak to let it out.' "'Sneak's trick to catch an un, so tiny and all,' replied Hazel composedly. "'Well, you'd better change your dress. It's very wet, and there's plenty here,' said he, going to a chest and pulling out an armful of old-fashioned gowns. "'If you lived at Undern, you could wear them every day.' "'If ifs were beans and bacon, there's few would go clemmed,' said Hazel. "'That green un's proper, like when the leaves come new. 
and little small roses and all. Put it on while I see what Vessons is doing. He's grumbling in the kitchen, seemingly, said Hazel. Vessons always grumbled. His mood could be judged only by the piano or forte effects. Hazel heard him reply to Reddin, No supper binner ready, or only just put him on. He always spoke of all phases of his day's work in the masculine gender. Hazel stopped buttoning her dress to hear what Reddin was saying. Have you some hot water for the lady? The lady? That's me, she thought. No, sir, I anna. Nor yet I anna got no myrrh aloes nor cashier. There's naught in my kitchen but a old useless cat and an overdruv man of six and sixty and a pot of victuals not yet simmering and a gentleman as ought to know better than to bring a girl to under and ruin her. Poor innocent little creature. Me again, said Hazel. She pondered on the remark and flushed. Maybe I'd best go, she thought. Yet only vague instinct stirred her to this and all her soul was set on staying. Never shall it be said... Andrew's voice rose like a preacher's. Never shall it be said, as a young female found no friend in Andrew Vesons. Never shall it be said. His voice soared over various annoyed exclamations of Reddin's, as a female went from this, all different from what she came. Shut up, Vesons. But Vesons was, as he would have phrased it himself, in full honey flow, and not to be silenced. Single she be, and single she'd ought to stay. This here rubbish of kissing and clipping. But Vesons, if there were no children gotten, the world would be empty. Lettin be, im above will get a bit of rest nights from their sins. Ah, I like that old chap, thought Hazel. The wrangle continued. It was the deathless quarrel of the world and the monastery, natural man and the hermit. Finally, Vessens concluded on a top note. Well, if you take this girl's good name off her. Suddenly, something happened in Hazel's brain. It was the realisation of life in relation to self. It marks the end of childhood. She no more saw herself throned above life and fate as a child does. She saw that she was a part of it all. She was mutable and mortal. She had seen life go on, had heard of funerals, courtings, confinements and weddings in their conventional order, or reversed, and she had remained, as it were, intact. She had starved and slaved and woven superstitions, loved Foxy and tolerated her father. Girlfriends had hinted of a wild revelry that went on somewhere, everywhere, calling like a hidden merry-go-round to any who cared to hear, but she had not heard. They had let fall such sentences as, He got the better of me. I cried out, and he thought someone was coming, and he let me go. Later she heard, And I thought I'd ne'er get through it when the baby came. She felt vaguely sorry for these girls, but she realised nothing of their life, nor did she associate funerals and illness with herself. As the convolvulus stands in apparent changelessness in a silent rose-and-white eternity, so she seemed to herself a stationary being. But the convolvulus has budded and bloomed and closed again, 
while you thought her still, and she dies, the rayed and rosy cup so full of airy sweetness, she dies in a day. Hazel got up from her chair by the fire and went restlessly, with a rustle as of innumerable autumn leaves, to the hall door. She gazed through the glass and saw the sad feather flights of snow wandering and hesitating and finally coming to earth. They held to her their individuality as flakes as long as they could, it seemed, but the end came to all, and they were merged in earth and their own multitudes. Hazel opened the door and stood on the threshold so that snowflakes flattened themselves on the yellow roses of her dress. Outside there was no world, only a waste of grey and white. Like leaves on a dead bird, the wrappings of white grew deeper over Undern. Hazel shivered in the cold wind off the hill and saw Undern pool curdling and thickening in the frost. No sound came across the outspread country. There were no roads near Undern except its own cart track. There were no railways within miles. Nothing moved except the snowflakes, fulfilling their relentless destiny of negation. She saw them only, and heard only the raised voices in the house arguing about herself. I mun go, she said, strong in her spirit of freedom, remote and withdrawn. I mun stay, she amended, weak in her undefended smallness and very tired. She turned back to the fire, but the instinct that had awakened as childhood died clamoured within her, and would not let her rest. She softly took off the silk dress and put on her own. She picked up the wreath frames with a sigh and opened the door again. She would have a long, wild walk home, but she could creep in through her bedroom window, which would not latch and she could make a great fire of dry broom and brew some tea. And I'll let Foxy in, and eat a loaf I will, for I'm clemmed, she said. She slipped out through the door that had seen so many human lives come and go. Even as she went, the door betrayed her, for Redden, coming from the kitchen, saw her through the upper panes. End of chapter 4 Recording by Rachel Linton, Bristol, UK.